How y'all doing? I hope you enjoyed that clip. Um, <laughs> the the show is 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 really great. It's about second chances and rebuilding relationships and rebuilding yourself in the process. And I'm not going to talk too much. I just want to introduce everybody so we can get right into the conversation. So um, first person I'm going to introduce right now is Marquis Richardson. How you doing? Uh, let's see, who's next? All right, next coming out is Jordan McIntosh. Icon, I think here, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything, <laughs> clearly. Next up is, <laughs> she's so cute, oh my goodness. Uh, next up is Folly Havana. I hope I got that right, bro. Like, okay. And next, coming out, Delroy Lindo. You all right? Good. Okay. <laughs> but I was cool. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Um, and the star of the show, Kerry Washington. <laughs> and the creator of the show, the show is based on, on her life. Miss Terry, Miss Tracy McMillan. My bad, I didn't mean to call you Terry. I just that happens all one, the time. One of her books, and it just sort of crisscrossed. Um, my first question actually is for you, Tracy. What is it like to have such a personal part of your life be? adapted for a television show in Hollywood? I'm still figuring that out, <laughs> what it's like. Um, I feel like I'm here to tell a story so that, you know, the, we've said this, you know, it's about opening hearts and minds. It really is. It's like America needs to know what the real human cost of our, you know, criminal justice incarceration policy is in this country. And I just knew on a more human level that my dad, my family, people would be, they would love him if they knew him. They would not think of him as like an ex-felon or a career criminal. They would think of him as a really nice man. So I wanted to humanize our story, our circumstances. And for Carrie and Delroy, I'm wondering what is it like as an actor to step into the shoes of someone else's life and sort of walk in their shoes for whatever designated time that you're, you're shooting something. And how 
do you go about making sure you do the characters in your story justice, but also keeping true to yourself as well as an actor? <laughs> um, I think it's such a great question because we were very committed early on to be Edwin and Paige, to not be Tracy and her dad. And, um, and so obviously with every choice, every decision from the writing to the editing, we wanted to honor the essence of their experience and the truth of what Tracy so generously was offering in terms of her life and her path and the path of this family. But we wanted to, and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously I'm speaking in the way, but, but we wanted to um, use their truth as a launch pad, as a jumping off place to then create Edwin and Paige. Um, and it's fun, I think it's really great for me. I think we both work very, like social scientists, we want to answer all the questions about who the characters are and their psychology and their sociology and all of that. So when you start out with rich source material, it is a wonderful head start in the race, but there's still so much work to do because we were not impersonating right. the real people. We wanted to find out the truth of these characters. The, the characters as, um, well, the human beings as presented by Tracy were, just to echo what Carrie said, they were points of departure mm -hmm. for what we were creating, for the characters that we were creating. And that, and Tracy was incredibly generous in, in allowing us the latitude. We all agreed from the, from the inception that that's the way that we would enter into the work. And it took the edge off of whatever responsibility one may feel about um, inhabiting, you know, a real person. They were they were points of departure for us in the process. I want to add something to that too. I've been writing television. This will be my seventeenth year, so it was kind of normal. Oh, <laughs> I don't mean it like that. Um, it yes, wasn't, you did. It yes, wasn't you did. a thirst. I'm, Okay, but the reason, the reason I say it is because I often would just step into this is a story, these are characters, this is a script. Like, I came at it as a television writer, not as, oh my God, that's me. You know, it's not me. These, uh, we are all like, I don't know, collaborators in, a, in our profession and so it wasn't me. But then to totally contradict ourselves, I will tell you two quick things. One is that Tracy's son, was on set um, as, as Folly's stand-in. Yes. So cool. And um, because they look really similar. And, um, and there were moments where Tracy and her son would be watching the three of us and yeah. saying, this is our life. Yeah. We're watching our life. And I remember our very first day of filming, I sh was shooting one of those Instagram monologues. And I couldn't even look at her because I did choose some very specific Tracy-isms to do in those monologue moments. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I can't talk about it. <laughs> so it was really, it, it, so it was fun to have inspiration from them while still building our own characters. Mm -hmm. And for, for Folly and, and Jordan, yes. what was it like? Can you talk a little bit about the audition process and how you sort of ended up working with 
this like super stacked, talented cast. Like y'all been jumping up and down since like earlier. I know y'all are super excited, so I can't wait to hear. It's the caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, you know, what your experience has been like. Um, my audition process, I was, of course, just on my phone, minding my own business. And my dad comes up to me like, Jordan, I have a script for you. I'm like, okay. And he's saying all these words I'm not allowed to say. So I'm like, um, he's like, do all that. I'm like, like with the cuss words or without the cuss words? And then he's like, um, he's like, with the cuss words. So I was like, oh, okay. I tried it, I was like, okay, audition over. He was like, practice this. So I've been practicing for two weeks. So soon as we started um, filming the audition, I was like, I got this, I'm gonna rock this. And um, I was saying the language. <laughs> and my dad, he started bursting out laughing um, during the audition process, but we got it through. And it's amazing to be here with Delroy, Tracy, Carrie, Folly, and Marquis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's so icon. Um, icon. I was in, I was in Oklahoma, um, and I was doing another project down there when I got the audition, and my agent called me, and she was like, "Hey, you have an audition." I was like, "Cool." She's like, "Carrie Washington's your mom." I was like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> so then, um, I did the tape. Um, Actually, the first time I taped it, I actually wasn't very confident with my audition, which is a funny story. And then um, I got a callback, and I was like, oh my god. So um, I was actually filming that day when I got the callback. I'm not sure if you remember the Zoom call. Oh, like it was yesterday. Yeah, they had, me, they had me in like a little studio room on set, and um, I just finished like a, like, a, like a pretty hard scene that I went in there and had to complete like, like mood change, like completely just like, whip around for the, for the scene. And I didn't read the email, so I didn't know Carrie was gonna be on the Zoom call. Um, and surprise! I know, no, it, no, it was a surprise, because she came on looking like a goddess, I kid you not. She had, she had these awesome braids in with like the golden flakes. And I was like, I, you know, because I hopped in, they're like, we're waiting for one more. I was like, okay, cool. And then I see Carrie Washington's name pop up but the video didn't turn on yet, and I was like, this is a prank. And then she came out, and I was like, oh, okay, all right. And um, but yeah, I did the read for that, and the callback felt so much better than my original tape. You know, getting to read with you was like so amazing. I immediately felt the chemistry from the first like callback, just from the Zoom call. And um, yeah, now we're here. Now we're at the Southwest, now we're at Southwest. I just wanna say as a producer, you know, the thing I, I wish I had known before I became a producer is that as an actor, you really are somebody's answered prayer. And the job is to go in and to fix somebody's problem. Like the problem is, will we ever find the right girl to be little Paige? The problem is, are we gonna find somebody to be able to, like that's the struggle. And so when each, I, when, I loved hearing you both tell those stories because we remember so clearly for both of you, the, the relief that we had when you came in because our problems were solved. It was so special. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Um, this next question is for, for Marquis. I'm wondering, 
Um, did you, before taking the role of, of Maul, did you do any research or, or sort of shadow the types of people that, you know, provide resources and services to those who are re-entering society? Um, I'll tell you why I asked that question. I, okay. I had a very similar experience growing up to you, Tracy. My father was in, in and out of prison, and then I didn't see him for 20 years. And he just recently came back into my life, and I'm now 40. So uh, adjusting to that and those complicated feelings and seeing people who he would meet when he you know, was just getting out and trying to transition and stuff like that. So when I saw you and your character sort of gave me a flashback. So I was just wondering, you know, what you need, you know, what you did or what you had to do to sort of get in character with that. <sighs> Valerie, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. I have a TV show you should watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, well, the answer is yes. Um, you know, when this project came along for myself, you know, as with Fally and Jordan, I saw the names of this thing. I saw y'all. I was like, oh, can I do this? Oh, can I do this? Um, and again, for me, it was like this or OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> because I needed a job at the time. And I'm so grateful that this content was amazing. And so... Uh, I feel like a lot of people are still look, look excited about the OnlyFans. Look, sure. like if we don't get a my se season two... Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, season mutually two. exclusive, Marky. <laughs> exclusive, okay. Well, uh, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, but yeah, so one of my best friends, actually, who I grew up with... Uh, was literally going through the same situation that Paige and Edwin were going through. So um, we just went to El Torito and just, <laughs> I love El Torito, um, and so does her father. And um, they really just allowed me to come in and just listen to the complexities of their reconnection. And actually, I think it was like 2010 when he came home and uh, I was there at that moment too, cause she did like a, a short, docu-series on the experience. And so um, this particular experience of me interviewing them and uh, just watching the level of forgiveness and compassion and empathy uh, that she had to have and the level of understanding um, that he had to have in order, them, in order for them to reconnect uh, really just opened my brain up to this whole experience. And so uh, Mal actually was someone who I wanted to be. Uh, when this story came in my life. And so uh, very grateful to y'all um, for this experience. Now, Tracy, you mentioned something earlier that I thought was really interesting. You talked about how like these characters are not necessarily you know, a direct reflection of you. Would you say that that was sort of how you protected yourself from getting sort of too caught up in the, the details by sort of separating yourself a little bit from that? Well, I think it kind of started earlier than that. Like, I think when you first start writing film or television, you sort of, you know, you're, well, I'm, I can't speak for everybody, but I was sort of not as creative. You know, I would like do a, you know, 
you know, 30-something-year-old biracial woman. You know, and like I never, I, never, I didn't think outside my own box. And when I started writing characters that were nothing like me necessarily in their, de in their detail, except for the way they felt, mm -hmm. that's when my writing took off. Because I think you need that distance in order to be able to be honest about what the character's going through. If it's you, the, the character has all your same, you know, no one is that self-aware. And I mean, I'm like outrageously therapied and self-aware and I'm not that self-aware, you know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, you don't wanna be writing characters who are you necessarily. You wanna be finding people that are facing the circumstances that you're facing and be honest about the feelings they're having. And so the, the feelings can match, but so I've never been that sort of, I also came to this kind of late. I, I worked in TV news for like 16 years. I didn't start writing television until I was 42. So I had had a whole life and I don't think, I think that probably helped me sort of have a certain kind of, I don't know, um, what is it? It's like, it, and yeah, that's the word I'm looking for, a neutrality and objectivity about humans because I've you know been around a lot of them now for a while so I feel like you you want to try to be truthful and writing of yourself is <laughs> that's not the best way to go about it right and and I guess I can apply the same question to acting and and how do you like sort of protect yourself you know while you're in certain roles while also finding the empathy um or enough empathy to sort of connect so that you can sort of act out those, those traits of the character? The, this may sound strange, but the characters themselves, for, for me, I think, the characters themselves are the protection. And what I mean by that is, is that you, one has a parameter, one has a specific space that one has to fill as the character. And one can mine one's neuroses, one's rage, all the feelings that one has, as long as they are applicable to the character that one is playing and the overall story. So from that standpoint, you get to be in this sandbox and just do your thing as long as it serves the story. So I, the answer for me is the character is the protection on some level. That's the, the first time I've heard that answer, so thank you for that. But wait, I want to ask Carrie that, because I feel like there were times in which you're not protected from what the character is going through at times, because you have to actually embody those emotions, embody those feelings, and then, you know, that happened inside your body. Yeah, but I think, I think what you're saying is right, and it is... It is an affirmation of what Delroy said, because I think the character almost becomes the safety net right. where you can reveal as much as you need to because it's in service of the character. Right. So it's not, um, it's not me, but I'm giving as much as I humanly can give for her. And it's to make her human. So it's, it, it's not about me, but, it, but I have to bring as much of myself as I can to it so that she is alive. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, to, you know, to talk a little bit more about the show, how did you 
sort of map out the world and what each episode would look like because some of the sh uh, some of the episode titles are hilarious, and so I um, I'm not going to read them to you. Y'all got to watch. But um, how did you sort of map that out to you know what each title is and what each thing would sort of or which plot would be happening in each episode? Well, I knew there were certain aspects of the story that needed to be explored, like trust and, um, you know, attachment. So I knew those things, but there were times when an episode would come to me, like, in a day, you know, so I have a, another side hustle, a side hustle, that I host this show on the Winfrey Network, and it's called Family or Fiancé. Yes. And it's about these yes. um, <laughs> couples who want to get married, and their families are against it, and everybody moves into a house in Malibu, and I play the... Um, I play Paige, and except for, you know, I, the only reason I tell you all this is because there would be things happening in that show that I would get in the car, so I would shoot that in the morning and then get in the car, drive, and have the writer's room in the afternoon. And so I would be like, oh, shit, this is an episode. And, you know, like the episode of, of Negrescence came from working on that show. It wasn't a one-to-one. -one. It was like oh, we all are exploring our blackness. Like, every black person in America is on a journey, and we're trying to figure it out. I mean, there's different stages, and there was this whole idea of negrescence that had been, and I was like, you know, we, and so that wasn't an episode until that day, you know? I really, like, Delroy and I keep getting asked, you guys probably too, about the tone of the show, how unique the tone of the show is, that it's serious but funny, and... I just, we keep saying it, it is a credit to the writer's room. This writer's room, um, this Amen. incredible woman, Yvette Lee Browser, our showrunner, all of the writers in the room just did such an extraordinary job building out this really special tone that feels so human because it's poignant and heartfelt, but funny as hell. Like that, that's, that's really a credit to you guys and the work that you were doing Amen. in there. And the fact that the, the, the writing um, was situated, was constructed, was created in the way that it was, or the way that it is, for me, and I think maybe for you also, Carrie, but for me, certainly, it took the edge off of having to be funny. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not known as a comic actor, um, per se. Um, <laughs> what y'all laughing at? But his timing is impeccable. <laughs> But I didn't have to concentrate on that as long as I concentrated on the truth of the scene. And because the writing was so good, um, the humor came out of the truth uh, in the language and the truth of the interactions between the characters in the scenes. And I would say lastly about the tone, the reason they haven't seen this tone before is because they've never seen this family before and they've never seen this yeah. situation before. And they don't understand that you, you, all these things are happening concurrently in our lives, <laughs> you know? That's right. Well put. Right, and, and there was some, um, there's a lot of things about rehabilitation, reentry, uh, forgiveness, and sort of finding balance. Um, because there's a character who is a perfectionist, so to speak, even though her own life is not so great. And Excuse me? 
And then there's someone who's sort of the opposite, the sort of free person who's like learning things. And, and I just wanna, I wanna point out something really interesting that I discovered. Um, according to the prison policy initiative, state and federal governments bear the brunt of spending 182 million, uh, sorry, 182 billion that goes to staffing and upkeep of two million Americans that are in prisons. Now sentencing and policies are disproportionately uh, or rather people of color are disproportionately affected by these uh, sentencing policies and they make up 67% of the penitentiary population while only representing 37% of the overall population in the United States. So also what I learned from that is the services for rehabilitation and reentry are underfunded or they don't exist. So most of the time when people are getting out of prison, they are returning to their families um, with no job prospects, with no safety nets, no, safety no, safety nets. Nets, no structure for them to, to enter in, into, back into society. Right, and nothing, so nothing. there's nothing for them. So when creating the show and the experience that Page has an experience that you may have had personally in sort of helping your father sort of reintegrate into society. Um, I guess I'm curious to know what what is it like to have those conflicting feelings about someone that you haven't seen before and then someone that's trying to get on their feet and how do you help them? You know what I mean? As uh, I guess I'm just thinking back to my own experience, and I'm sorry for doing that. Um, That's why it's a good question. And I mean, yeah, you have conflicting feelings. Like part of you wants to, you know, get in there, and another part of you knows that you can't save this person. You know, I can't do that work for him. But I want to hear what you have to say. No, no, go ahead, Edwin. No, because that's yeah. But I have to say something before I say anything else, and that is I'm going to retract what I just said about no safety net, because there are, there are exactly there are organizations that are profoundly committed, and in preparing to do this work, I uh, I met um, I came into contact with a couple of them, and, I, and when I'm speaking to the press, speaking publicly, I feel that I have to give them their props recognize them. So there was one organization in San Francisco which is called um, Positive Direct, I'm popping, the guy's mad at me back, so don't, don't hold the mic too close. Um, positive Direction Equals Change. They work with formerly incarcerated um, individuals helping them uh, re-enter uh, society. Then there was an organization in Los Angeles that I met with, um, uh, they're a halfway house, uh, so the Sober Living Network. Now the thing that um, these two organizations have in common, they're all in, in formerly incarcerated, the staff formerly incarcerated and the, and the clients. Profoundly committed to helping, assisting um, formerly incarcerated people um, return to society as constructively as possible. Now, I feel, um, I have to say that, um, a young lady named Ramona Massey who introduced me, and then Lewis Reed who was the, um, uh, what do you call it, the um, 
the, the person who was helping us, helping me. Consultant. Thank you. Yeah. Senior moment, consultant. Um, so the, the, there are these organizations. When I said what I said a few minutes ago, broadly across society. Yes. Broadly On a across federal society. and state level. Correct. There are, there, it's, it's, there's a dearth of, of help for, for these, these guys. So I just felt I needed to correct myself really quickly. Thank you for answering that. And that was a really personal question. I was just, um, you know, the way that the, because sometimes like in Hollywood, we see these films and they have these, uh, these, these characters and they, they don't tend to be as well-rounded. And I think this show really nails that, that life has a bunch of different things going on and we're laughing and we're crying and we're happy and we're, we're, that's happening all at the same time. And you know, there's tragedy and triumph and it all exists uh, together. So I think, you know, your story with the cast really sort of nailed that balance. Um, I don't think I would have been able to connect to the experience without that because, you know, life is, is, is balanced. Everybody has a different experience. Our experience as people of color is not just one way. That's right. um, so, so we're gonna move on from that. <laughs> um, I, I actually wanted to ask you more about producing, Carrie, because I know you have Simpson Street and you've been producing quite a lot. So can you talk about the sort of logistics of what it's like to bring a show like this together? Um, sure. It, it didn't start with me. I mean, it really started with Tracy, and we had some friends in common, and she reached out and said, I'm working on this project about my life, and would you consider it? And she actually was bringing it to me just as a producer, which I learned recently. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I was like, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wouldn't have dreamed of being so lucky. Like, I wouldn't. I, so I read it and I loved it and I really wanted us to to be a part of it um, and um, and so it's it's been every project's different projects start in different places sometimes you're looking for the writer sometimes the project comes with a writer but we still wanted to match Tracy up with a showrunner sometimes you're looking for um, directors I mean each project kind of starts in its own place and then needs to have a world built around it and my producing partner Pilar Savone is here and um, she rocks um, and we just you know we try to we find that these projects make themselves you have to be in service to the project you have to listen to the project and find out what it needs what are the actors it needs what are the directors it needs who's what's the costume designer it needs but I will say that early on, I felt like there was only one actor who could play my dad. And I remember saying it to Tracy and to Pilar. And it was maybe right around when The Five Bloods came out. And so I was like, you guys, if you haven't seen it, like, he's the only one. Um, and then we did a Zoom, because this was back in the day where nobody was still in rooms with other people. And um, we did a Zoom with Delroy, and I was so nervous. I feel like the best acting I've done in the history of the show was on that Zoom with Delroy to not <laughs> show him how nervous I was. Um, but when he said yes, I felt like we have a show. Because what I know of Tracy's dad the magic of this man. I mean, when you think about it, the magic of this man is what inspires this show because yeah. 
it was his ability to hold the complexity you were talking about, to be a career criminal and a, a formerly incarcerated person, but to also be the most charming person in the room, the smartest person in the room, the most um, engaging. engaging, loving, that he was a loving, yes, all those things, all those things, all those things, all those things. All those things. Him. Both, Harold, both, Harold. both. <laughs> Edwin and Harold. Like I knew we had to find an actor who could be sexy, yeah. smart, yeah. Um, charming, charismatic. Yeah. Keep going. But who you could also believe was a career criminal. Yeah. And, and, right? to hold all that complexity, that's ninja acting. That requires the kind of acting that a true ninja, you know, yeah. and he, I knew he could do that. And so when he said yes, I was like, we, we, we can do this. But I, but I, I want to say as an extension of that, you guys got it right all the way down the line from the standpoint of these actors sitting, you know, to my right. Oh man. Every single um, slot that needed to be filled was filled mm -hmm. by these actors mm -hmm. and in each in their own way are bringing what they bring of equal value. So from a producing standpoint, you guys got it right, mm -hmm. right? And if there are any producers in the room, um, you know, I would say that um, not to tell you how to do your jobs, but the attention, the attention to detail the attention to every, as you say, Carrie, the attention to every single aspect of the endeavor. And that was dotting the I's and crossing the T's in such a way that we have this ensemble of, of, of workers, of creative workers. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. and it doesn't, st go ahead, I'm sorry, you weren't. Well, no, I was, I, I actually, I was, going to be really selfish and ask them yes. what the experience has been from that standpoint, from the standpoint of coming into this project and filling the spaces that you have so brilliantly filled. No pressure, but... <laughs> you stole my question. <laughs> okay, I'll start. Um, I would say... Uh, of course, the first day was nerve-wracking, obviously. You know, you walk on set, mm -hmm. Delroy Lindo, Carrie Washington, I didn't know what to do. Um, and, then, uh, and then I met Joseph. I met My Joseph. Son. Um, he was exactly how I imagined. I didn't know that the story was, like, based off of true events. Like, I didn't realize, I didn't, I wasn't sure how true the events were until I met Joseph. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. And, um, and at that point, Tracy, yes, yeah, Tracy son, Joseph. And then um, at that point, I was just fully motivated. It wasn't so much pressure or nervousness anymore. I just like, um, at that point I realized I'm, I'm a part of something now and I need to, I need to bring my part to the table, and I need to, I need to, I need to fill those shoes of your very handsome son. And uh, <laughs> I just, uh, and it was, it was very motivational for me. So that's a great word, motivation. Yeah, yeah I love it. Um, I walked onto set. Of course, I see Miss Carrie, 
same outfit as me, same everything, same detail. She looks at me, um, oh my God, why are you stealing my outfit? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I had this first. And then we would all have these like mini arguments about outfits. But when I first met Miss Carrie, I mean, I was nervous to the skull of my bone. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, this is Carrie Washington. What am I doing? I'm shaking. I, I, I just lost my mind. I did not know what to do. But soon as I started saying the words, everybody bursted out <laughs> laughing. Just, ah! it, it, it was um, fun um, filming the first episode, and then you got the second episode, which was great, too. And then you got third, fourth, fifth, <laughs> and sixth. And the seventh, and, and the eighth, and, and, and the... And, and, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, working on the cast of Imprisoned was, you know, amazing. I mean, not only I got to go to Hollywood, I also got to see two of the best ass trick. I, oh my god. Um, Two of the best actresses in the world, Carrie and Delroy Lindo. Um, it was. <laughs> she said what she said. She said what she said. She said what she said. And the best thing I can do is own that. Boom. Boom. Breaking news. <laughs> um. Other than that, um, it was great filming on prison. It was great getting some crafty. Um, um, I liked filming. Crafty is the food, by the way. <laughs> I loved filming. I loved working with these amazing people. Um, thank you for the cast of on prison of casting me. Marquis. Well, uh, I third all of these emotions. Um, Kerry Washington, hello. Delroy Lindo, hello. Um, these are my Mount Rushmore of actors and actresses. And so, um, <laughs> I really didn't think about it too much because if I did, I would lose my job. Um, so I really just tried to, you know, go to work. And so my wife, um, first day, she was like, Marquis, just don't be yourself. Just don't talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait till episode three before you start opening your mother mouth. I was like, get out of here. I'll be fine. So day one, there's a scene with myself, Miss Carrie, Mr. Delroy, and uh, halfway through the day, I stopped and I'm like, look, y'all, I can't pretend that this is not happening right now. And I'm freaking out. And then I just start rambling on to, to Carrie, telling her how much she means to me and how much she means to me as an artist and just as a businesswoman and as black people. And the same thing for Delroy. And Delroy's like, God bless you, brother. God bless you. And Carrie, Carrie was like, we have time. We have so much time. I'm like, well, I don't know because it's the first episode and I just want to tell people I'm like, just rambling around, rambling. Um, but they were so open to me in regards to like, I had all the questions about how they do what they do at the level that y'all do it. It's, it's mastery, you know, and still keep some level of sanity in this crazy, crazy world. So uh, kudos to y'all. 
Thank you. I love y'all. Yeah. Top down. Icon, icon, icons. And I'm just happy to be here, so. <laughs> um, we have a couple of minutes for, for some audience questions, which are down here. Um, actually, I think a really good question that someone asked. Uh, Mia Miracle Craig, yeah. Um, how do you hope this show helps your audience? when watching. Um, well, I'll just tell a story. Since the trailer came out, this was really, I guess it was last week and a lifetime ago. Um, a woman came up to me, a professional woman, advanced degrees, and she said to me, I saw the trailer, I'm so excited for this show because um, it's my story. My husband was in prison for a number of years. He's been out for five years now, and I've never been able to talk to a single person about what happened. And she's like, I hope that this show normalizes our experience, takes the stigma away, and allows an open conversation for families like mine. And I said, we made this show for you. That's it. That's what I hope happens. And if that leads to policy change, that's the next step. Yes. I, I think when I hear that, what's so powerful is that in our experience doing press, that conversation keeps getting had again and again and again. Like you today, Valerie, right? Like people see the show and they share their experience. And so it is true for Tracy to say that to that person, we made the show for you. But when you think about the fact that there are 80 million Americans living with a criminal record, that you is deep. There's so many of us who either have been part of the system or love someone who's been part of the system. It's like I keep asking myself, who of us is immune? When 80 million Americans are walking around with a criminal record, that tells you that this is our collective story and we haven't been telling it. And it's just time. Because every one of us, you know, one of the things we say at Simpson Street is that we truly believe that every single one of us is the hero of our own journey. We are each the protagonist in the story of our lives. And we can choose to be supporting characters at certain times. It's important for us to do that in life, but that's a choice, that we each are the hero of our journey. But if we don't get to see our story, we can believe that who we are isn't important, that our story doesn't matter, that our story is invisible, that it's not worth being told. So part of what we want to do is to let everybody know that your story matters and that you're not alone, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And here's a really interesting question. Um, colorism is a real thing in Hollywood. Was there color consciousness when casting the show? Mm. Well, that's a good question. <clears throat> a really good question. Amaya Savoy Easton, thank you for the question. So this is one of, when, when Delroy talked about um, the departure, right, one of the things we knew, for example, was I am not biracial. And even though I was going to take on Tracy's journey, I was not going to play a biracial woman. That we were going to figure out how to tell this story from a, the perspective of a woman who identifies as fully black, right? 
And that, that didn't mean that I wasn't gonna have a process with negrescence, mm -hmm. right? That I could still figure out what is, how does my character interact with my black identity as somebody who's been through the foster care system and who the only love I experienced from a family was a white family, right? There were still ways to engage on the complexity of race identity in America without deciding that I was gonna be a biracial woman. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, also, this idea that this really important moment when my dad says to me, have you tried dating any black men yet, right? So, so then we thought, okay, my son is biracial, so we can tell stories that are similar to Joseph's experience, that are similar to Tracy's experience through that character. So yes, there was absolutely a consciousness about race and racial identity, but there wasn't the thought of like, having people have to look a certain way. Right. Because my mother and her siblings are biracial and they span the spectrum from I have an aunt with green eyes and blonde hair to my mother is my complexion, right? So there was an openness about what that would look like but, but more clarity around racial identification. Yeah. Look, everything you've said <laughs> speaks to the manner in which the work we're trying um, in this work to engage the human experience, mm -hmm. who these people are, and what is involved in, 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 in the process of engaging each other as humans. And as that relates to colorism, a label, one of the things that we as people of color, as black people, African descended people, have to combat every single day of our lives is the taking away of our humanness. Mm -hmm. We're human beings. And what you're seeing in, um, in this work, again, speaking to the, the whole issue of the colorism, what you're seeing in this work is our authentic, motivated attempt to present human beings in certain circumstances. And um, the fact that journalists, as Carrie said, many of the people that we have spoken with supporting this, uh, in support of this, speaking with the press, those kinds of things have resonated. And that for me is part of the success of this, of this work. Yeah, can I say something about that? The, no, um, no. Okay, no. Right, true, true, true. <laughs> all right, next question. Okay, um, the, um, you say a line in the show you say, um, defending your blackness to other black people is one of the blackest things oh, you can do. Yeah. <laughs> and I have never felt more validated yeah. in my life yeah. when you said that. Because yeah. um, colorism in Hollywood is a very real thing. You know, yeah. I'm, clearly I'm not very dark, obviously, but you know, I go out, to this day I still get people asking me like, yo, where you get your hair permed at? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, so. Um, um, there's a lot of roles and opportunities that I've missed out on because I'm quote-unquote not black enough. Yeah. And so, um, to be a part of this show and to have you two as, you know, my generational family and getting to hear that line from you has definitely helped me in my journey of finding my identity as, as a nice person. Me too. All of us. Uh, Oh man, we, we ran out of time. I wish I had more time for, for questions. Aww. Aww.
One more. One more. One more. Okay. One more. One more. Okay. Okay. One more. One more. Good trouble. Actually, I'm looking to see because we addressed some of these things. I could say something. Yeah. Because what I want to say about to me. We're talking about the circumstances of this family, but to me, the thing that was most powerful is that is the family. It's there's a relationship between a dad, a daughter, and a grandson at the heart of this show that makes it apply to everyone, and that we and that we got to tell that story and put in a specific experience. That um, has not really been shown on television in this way, but it's that family relationship at the center that I feel like is the actual thing that resonates and makes every other part of it meaningful. Yeah, I, I was looking at the question: What themes or issues do you hope to explore in future episodes? And the producer in me <laughs> wants to respond by that by saying. I pray that we have future episodes because we have so much more story to tell for this family. We are just beginning to break open the journey of these characters, and I know what this woman is thinking about in future episodes. And I, when we really have to get there, so my my ask to you today is if you're moved by the show and moved by the panel, that you watch, that you post about it, that you call a friend, that you watch it with the people you love, that you watch it with the people you're struggling with, that you, that you get the word out. Because that is what will allow us to keep telling the story and to keep centering families that deserve to be in the spotlight and not marginalized. Heck yeah. Um, yes. I definitely, I definitely think, you know, uh, having uh, future episodes will open up more conversation and more introspection into this family, into the prison system, and things of that nature. I, I'm Valerie Complex, by the way, and I just want y'all to have, have a round of applause for the cast of Unprisoned. And for you, Thank Valerie, you, Valerie, round of applause you. for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>